Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And you're afraid of falling. But what motivates you is, even if you do fall, it's that moment that you are flying down that wave. It may last two seconds, but that keeps you going. I'm saying that now for this. There's going to be fear. They will fail, and you will fall at times. But the difference is whether you're going to lay down or just fall down. The people who fall are those that get up and keep going again. That's that intense longing. That's an emotion that you can conquer, that fear that you might have. You can alleviate that fear. Let's look at number three, the third emotion in your life when you say, I want my life to count in helping someone else be closer to God. And that's the emotion of encouragement. Look in verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 2, 6. It says this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, remember we sent Timothy, now Timothy has come back, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, that intense longing for us, as we also to see you. Now, if this is your Bible, you might want to circle the word faith and love, and then remembrance of us. Now, those are three great words that could encourage any one of us who desires for another person to hunger for God when we see that their hunger for God has brought about faith in their life, that they're willing to take risks, that they're willing to love, and true love is loving the unlovely. And so we hear words how they're willing to love and sacrifice for the unlovely. And the very fact that they haven't forgotten us and they want to see us as much as we want to see them. We're going to call that relationship, that they want to have a relationship with us. And so you're going to have in ministry this incredible emotion of encouragement. Now, albeit, someone had to bring it back to him, which was Timothy with that information. But Timothy brought back great information. I had a friend of mine, his name is Ralph, Ralph Arnold. He often says this, that the greatest encouragement that he has in ministry is when he sees results. And partly that's true. We who are wanting to influence someone else's life, the greatest encouragement we have is that we really did make a difference with someone who wants to make a difference. Now to do that though, folks, there's a couple of things you need to remember. And maybe some of you are looking to be encouraged. What would you look to? Number one, remember to watch people grow. Look at them. Don't forget that they're growing. Some will grow fast like corn plants. Some will grow slow like some of our monkey pod trees. It's going to take a longer time. But keep your eye on them. Paul was longing for Timothy to come back and give him a report. So watch them to grow. I love to hear results to see how people are growing. It's neat to do that. If you don't mind, I'd like to speak to those that are in ministry more officially or full-time here. <clears throat> I've, had a, I've had a track record of being in multiple churches in my past, and I believe God at those times have led me to do that. And there are times that you need to turn a church around and then there's some blood on you in doing that, but the church is healthy and it's better for them to take the next shepherd somewhere else. But I have to tell you that I don't have the same joy of seeing the fruit 
of the churches that I've ministered to. Oh, I hear reports back, phone calls, emails, letters, visits. You've seen them coming, you know, all through the years. I've been here. People that we've ministered to in the past who've come out to see us. We have people that are in the sanctuary today that moved out here. All right, so I have that. But I would like to encourage you that we would have a long time ministry with people. This church here for Carolyn, we have burned our bridges, our boats, our boxes. We're going to be here as long as God wants us here. And I think that's going to be as long as we stay healthy and you want us here. Or as long as we have a ministry in some measure with the teenagers. <clears throat> that being said, that's what Paul was able to do. And I hope that maybe that you and I could look at people and to watch them grow. Listen to their testimonies. When we have a praise time and someone is up there with the microphone sharing a little something about God in their life, I want you to look back and for that moment, humble yourself and say, Lord, I want to thank you for allowing me to have some measure of a ministry in that person's life who is now talking about how they're looking at you and you're going to remember how far along they have come since the first time you met that person. Let that encourage you. The ministry is not all made up with warfare and fighting and problems and people not liking you and all of that. You'll have some of that in your life. But you'll have far more people that are growing. Whether you have a day-to-day -day influence, a week-to-week -week influence as a Bible teacher, or just connecting to them in the lanai and talking more story about God in their life than how are things going over at Safeway. Right, number two, remember to enjoy the relationship. Enjoy the relationship you have with them. That's all through here. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. So glad that he had a relationship with him. Now this is one that I'm working on. The blessing of this church is that you are highly relational. And the, the, the burden of this church is that I'm not, I'm not wired as a much of a relational person as I, I want to be and I could be. Now some of you are saying, you seem to be pretty relational to me. Let me tell you, it's God. It's a miracle. That's where I want to be. And the few times you saw a snapshot of that, let's, let's, hang, let's slap five and love God, I'm working on it. But I'll tell you, it's so neat to just hang around one another and love one another. We've been very busy the last couple of months here. You know that. You guests that are here, you have no idea. We've been busy. Now the good news is there's a lot of time to talk story and do stuff while we're working and doing stuff. A lot of laughter going at you No know, Fright Kids Night. But I hope that maybe during the holidays that you sit down and just talk story with one another and let God open up the conversation and then you just gently move it to focus them back on God, on the Lord, on Jesus Christ, the reason for the season. Well, here's the fourth one. We call this emotional stress. It goes from encouragement to emotional stress, and that is part of ministry. The emotions are sometimes all over the map, so you do go into the emotional stress. We're all going to have some kind of stress, but the particular emotional stress that Paul had in ministry was the feeling he got when he was persecuted. I don't know how many of you have truly experienced persecution because you, you made a choice regarding Christianity or the faith, and you got linked directly to persecution for that. Not because you came in late and they got mad at you because you were late showing up for the job or because you did something you shouldn't do or something like that. I'm talking about where you took a stand for Christ, you said yes to God, no to a secular worldview, and it cost you something. That's the persecution he went through. Except they beat him. 
so badly at times they left them on top of a rubbish pile because that's where they put dead people who had no family to take care of them. That's Paul. And he did it because he just wanted them to be desperate for God. So persecution, look what it says in verse 7. It says, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. So again, I look at uh, two ways to reduce stress in this. Number one, we're appointed to this. Would you write that down? I want you to know that you will have persecution if you are desperate for the Lord. It will happen. It'll happen on your job, especially if you're more vocal there. Maybe some of you haven't suffered that, but I think that in our church here, you guests that are here, our people have come to the point that they've decided to go public with their Christianity at Thanksgiving dinners, Easter dinners. And they have family right now that wish they wouldn't be at those dinners. And when they are there, they kind of avoid them and are only surfacely polite. They're getting some persecution. But I want you to know that it's going to happen. We're appointed to this. It's going to happen again, folks. And you celebrate God in your life because that is drawing you closer to Him because God will never persecute you for doing what is right. He won't. Look at the second one. Is we're comforted in them concerning you by your faith. So in other words, when we do go through the stress and the problems of life, go back to the people again and remember how comforted you are by them. The times that they sent you a letter. Carol and I have made a habit of doing this. <clears throat> it's kind of weird. We do it, and what we do is when we receive an email or a note or a letter or a card from someone that says something to us about how their life was changed by something that God brought into our life that touched them, and they're thanking us or telling us, we save that. And sometimes when we get down and discouraged, we open up that box and we look at that, and we remind ourselves that even in all of this stress and struggles of life, there are people that lives have been changed. Are you listening to this? Can I tell you what the real gut-wrenching thing is? Is sometimes I've received those letters from someone, and they were written a year, year and a half ago, and how sweet they are. And then I look at them, and I heard about the malicious rumor that they're spreading now about me. Now, that's not true right today, so relax. But people are people. And you remember, keep your eyes on the Lord. And remember for whom you've decided to make a difference in someone else's life for. It's all about Him. Let's look at the fifth one, and I like to end on this one because it's the one that really keeps it all in perspective. It's called the emotion of joy. In verse 9 and then in verse 19 and 20, here's what you read. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy, circle that, with which we rejoice for your sake before God. My goodness, the joy that we have. I was so excited when I saw Night of Delights. On Wednesday night, as we passed the microphone around in a full sanctuary here of people praising the Lord, I was so excited to hear young and old testify of what God's been doing in their life. That's great joy. But now if I'm going to do it, there's two areas we're going to remember. First of all, now. Enjoy now what God is doing in other people's lives. Instead of finding fault in the one you're trying to influence that is not yet walking as much with God as you want, find an area that you can bless them in. Can you have a praise husband time, a praise wife time, a praise mom, praise dad, praise son, praise daughter time? And while you're praising them, what you're really doing in your heart is you're rejoicing because of the work God has done in their life. Can you take it to the people you work with, the ones that you're dating? 
the people in your ministry, instead of looking at the ones who are always the bad penny or the ones that are nipping at you like little bugs, look at those people as God-blessed people. Sandpaper people to make you smooth and sharp and beautiful and valuable for God. And the last would be this. When Jesus returns, you're going to have joy when you see those people in heaven. The presence of the Lord. Look at the verse. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Some of us, we take more pride in our automobile, our home. Some of us take plenty of pride in the awards that we have, the trophies that we have. And God says, Are not even you in the presence of the Lord at his coming? I remember a young man when I was first saved. Teenagers, listen to this for a moment. When, um, when I was a, a young guy, 16, 17, I was still in high school. And there was this long-haired guy in school. His name was Eddie. Eddie was his name. Like Eddie would go, this is Eddie. And Eddie was a, a kind of a hippie-ish looking dude. And we invited him to the youth meeting. And I was so glad that our youth meeting was defined by being evangelistic. We're caring about people coming to faith, but loved them too much to leave them just as a, as a baby Christian, help them to grow to become fully mature Christians. So they, they were open to the Eddies to come in, where Eddie could come in feeling comfortable, smelly and dirty and whirly-minded and all of this kind of stuff, checking out the chicks even and all of that, what, waiting for him to come in. Uh, guys would be watching him, wanting to make sure that he would be desperate for God someday. And I can remember old Eddie... That night he trusted Christ just like some of you have. Some it's a journey. Him it was a destination right then. I remember when he went back to school he had to tell other people. And this, this is back in the 60s. We didn't have copy machines and photocopies and all this stuff. Somehow he was able to put together a school, a Christian school newspaper. The first one I've ever heard. Words weren't spelled right. He tried to get people to give testimony. So he put together this little ministry thing of a school newspaper and he'd pass it around. That was his ministry in school. He didn't care about being persecuted. He was hot for God, man. He loved the Lord. I had very little influence in his life. I'm ashamed to tell you that. Possibly what I'm going to tell you next is a result, a consequence of that maybe. After I went to, to, um, to high school, I went to Bible college four years. When I graduated... Instead of coming to Hawaii, you know that story, I ended up going on staff as teaching at the Bible College. My, my second year there, I got a phone call from someone that said, hey, did you hear about Eddie? I said, no, I didn't. Eddie was murdered between Miami and the Florida Keys. And I don't want to be too graphic, although it was a very grisly, grisly murder of him and another person in a Winnebago. I found out that Eddie tried to do Christianity on one side, but he also tried to appease the world on the other. So he wasn't really as hot for God. I think he was struggling with where he really was with God. Not his salvation, but how much he could do, how he could live his life. So they said, since you knew Eddie at the beginning, would you mind doing the funeral service for him? I said, I'd be delighted to. So I did it. The, the, the chapel was about as large as this. It was absolutely wall-to-wall people of the lesser kind. Tattoos, earrings, dirty, motorcycle, chopper kind of things out there. And I'm not marginalizing that. Just, that's, just listen, and I think you, you'll understand. I, I love you and I love them too. 
would to God we have more of them here to reach. But my point is still this. So they're all there. They could not get all in the room. I gave the plan of salvation. So many hands went up. So then I had them send the word out to those who were in the parking lot. I said, I'm going to do it again. This time we're going to do it at the grave site. So we'd get to the grave site with the hearse and they'd put the casket out there. These people flood out of the chapel. All these guys on bikes and all kinds of cars are all over the place. So now I climb up on the hood of a car and I'm shouting to this mob of people of all different shapes and sizes, ages and the way they looked. And I simply said to them, For God so loved the world, including Eddie, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in Christ, like Eddie did, would not perish spiritually, but would have everlasting life. I explained how Eddie came in as a person who thought going to heaven was by good works. I explained to them that Eddie was lost, and at that time, if he died, he died separated from God, placed in hell. I explained to them that Eddie would have to be perfect like anyone else in order to go to heaven if he was trying to get to heaven by good works because God said perfection was what was required. I explained to them that nobody could ever be perfect no matter how perfect and good they lived on this earth. That's why God said it's not by any good works that get you into heaven, but it's by what Jesus did for us on the cross when the Lord died and he rose again shedding his blood. And I said, I'll never forget that night when Eddie sat there and he transferred his faith from whatever into only Christ and he was born again. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he will answer at the judgment seat of Christ not to determine whether he'll get in or not, but whatever rewards he's going to get. But Eddie's in heaven right now. Is there anyone out here in this great sea of friends that would call upon the Lord like Eddie did and trust Christ and Christ alone to have eternal life. Obviously, people were raising their hands and doing their thing. I have no idea. God knows. The message is the same then as it is now. And the requirement for salvation is the same then as it is now, perfection. And you can't get there by your good works. So now the only thing is to place your faith in Christ. So here's my question to you as we close. I have two different types of people in this room. I have those of you that are on the front end of this journey, and here's my question to you. Will you even be in the presence of the Lord when you die? If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, no matter how much value you want to add to other people, you will die in your sins and be separated from Him. And that's going to be very horrible, not just for you, but it's a regret because Jesus has already paid your sin debt and all he's asking for you to do is to trust him so he could put that payment on your account so you can go to heaven. So my friend, why don't you, just like Eddie did, call upon the Lord to be your Savior by faith alone. The second group would be this. Do you even have the emotions of ministry involvement? I don't know. You would, perhaps, if you're the person who says... I'm desperate for the Lord. I know what it means to have God so much in my life. And I want my mate to have him like that. I want my kids, my parents, my friends, my, my co-workers. I want to have the joy of seeing them in the presence of the Lord. Are you there? And if it's in your heart, I have to ask you the last question. As a Christian now, what by God's pr- power and grace will you do differently the rest of the day and the rest of your life to have that? You pray for me. 
And I'm praying for you because we all want to be desperate for God. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I have the joy of seeing Eddie in heaven. I want to have the joy of seeing you in heaven. Paul spoke to that. So why don't you right now make sure you are going to heaven when you die? And that begins by having a personal relationship with Christ right now. And you have that by coming to Him, realizing that what separates you is sin in your life. And yes, you can try to forsake all that sin. And that's good to do, by the way. But if you're counting on that in order to help you get to heaven, it won't work because you'll never be perfect enough to get there. That's why you have to say, Lord, I'm, I'm desperate for you. I can't, I, I can't breathe water and still live. So right now, Lord, I'm stopping thinking my good works will get me to heaven. And I'm totally relying upon you. And now you're breathing fresh, heavenly air. Because Jesus says, He that believes on me has right now everlasting life. And you have life and you can have it more abundantly. That's a relationship with Him forever. Is there anyone in here today that's saying, I know God has been working on my heart and I know that today I need to step over that line. And I need to trust Christ as my Savior. I, I, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Your family is praying for you. Your friends have been praying for you a long time. If you die without this, how tragic it is for you, what a waste it was for Christ, for you. And the burden of sorrow on your family and friends. So would you right now call upon the Lord to be your Savior or make an appointment with someone who would talk to you? We have ladies in this church for you ladies, guys for guys. Talk it out. They won't browbeat you. They'll just listen. They're your coach. They were where you are. And in the future... You will be where they are now to help someone else. So is there anyone in here with every head, bow, every head bowed and every eye closed that would quietly and privately slip up your hand to indicate to me that today is the day you're trusting Christ as your Savior. You've never done it before. You are breathing in His life. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone at all? Would you put up your hand right now? Is there anyone? Okay, Christians, how about you? How many of you, perhaps now, are saying, I need to get more involved in someone else's life? Whether it's a formal thing, like taking on a teaching role or a serving role in something, or informally, getting around people with more intentionality, and your conversations change a little bit more. But you want to get involved in someone else's life. Because you are desperate for the Lord and you know how good it is when you're around Him and you want to help others and you know you're not perfect. You know you're going to uh, fall sometimes or fail occasionally, but at the same time, you still are desperate to help other people. You want to make a difference. And you'd like for me to pray for you because you want to go to your next level in influencing others for God. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone up? Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we truly are desperate for you. And I want to thank you for making our world and our situations 
so challenging at times that it makes us desperate for you because, Father, we take breathing air sometimes so for granted. And we need to have those times when we don't have that air so we can be desperate for you. And so I thank you for the struggles in our life, the challenges that you give to us, so we are desperate. But Father, now help us with that to realize the joy of having that fresh air, that fresh wind with you for someone else. Thank you for the joy that we have. Thank you that, Father, that even during the stresses we can look at the the results and be encouraged. We thank you that we can be encouraged by what we hear and see in the lives of others. And Father, we are fearful and we are concerned. But Father, we know that when we seek you, you will deliver us out of all of those fears. And then, Lord, we want to have that longing like we've never had for someone else's spiritual life development. Father, we love you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.